Episode 5, The Worst Game Ever Invented. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a June 21st, 2006 podcast from the Kansas State Historical Society. Each quarter, curators select five artifacts for the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. With this podcast series, we take a closer look at these artifacts and find out the story behind the story. In the following interview, Bob Keckeisen, director at the Kansas Museum of History, explains how dosy doing linebackers and miniature felt balls used in Tudor's electronic football game inspired bizarre behavior in children of the 1960s. Talking to Bob Keckheiser, director of the Kansas Museum of History. And Bob, I'm just going to ask you a couple questions about the Tudor electronic football game. And now, Bob, I don't want to, I don't want to date you. I, mean, I really don't want to date you. But um, you played this game as as a youth. Is that correct? Yeah, at the risk of uh, revealing my age. Yes, uh, I had this game as a child in the mid 1960s. I think we got it for Christmas one year, and uh, my older brother and I played it quite a bit. Okay, that's 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 yeah. very fortunate for you. Um, so, okay, Bob, and your experience, then um, tell us a little bit about how this game works. Well, there's the way it's supposed to work, and then there's the way it actually works. And the way it's uh, supposed to work is it's it's a metal board that's uh, attached to a device that, when it's electrified or when you when you turn it on, the board vibrates. And there are two teams of plastic men, and the men have little uh, prong-like um, appendages, I guess you would say, coming out of the bases of their uh, uh, their feet that um, kind of are about the size of a tip of a toothpick. And when so it's the player sits up on those little prongs and the vibrating moves them supposedly forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would arrange your players, turn the game on, and then they would supposed to simulate uh, actual football playing. So is there any way to control what direction they actually travel in? Well, they're supposed to move forward is the way it's designed. Uh, we found that if you sort of bent the little prongs backward, it somewhat propelled them forward, but that was just a crapshoot. You were never really sure. You turned the board on, and it was pretty much chaos. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so how does a player pass, and how does a player know when they've scored? Okay. Uh Passing was a very interesting part of this game because you did have a, a designated quarterback who looked different than all the other players, and he had an arm that you could cock back and put the little football in. Now, the football was made out of a small piece of kind of densely packed felt. So not only did it easily get lost, it had absolutely no directional capabilities whatsoever, but you would put this little felt ball in the quarterback's arm and snap it back, and then when you turn the board on and the play started you would hold the quarterback with one hand and cock his arm back with the other and look for an eligible receiver right and release the ball and if it hit the receiver then it was a completed pass you could stop the game and reset up at that point uh, because there was no way that the receiver could actually hold on to this felt ball but um whether it was a completed pass led to a lot of arguments, and whether somebody scored on that uh, play led to a lot of arguments. Now, on a running play, you would just tuck the ball under the halfback's arm and turn it on, and if he crossed the goal line before he got touched by another player, then that was pretty obviously a score. 
everything else was just you know uh, up for grabs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very difficult to tell whether a pass had been completed, and if you hit somebody in the end zone, there were just you know wild arguments that led to you know uh, fist fights and tears and. Sure. You know, recrimination and everything else uh, as to whether you know someone had actually scored. So, okay, um, who owned this particular uh, Tudor football game? Well, this game that we have in the museum collection was owned by Philip Smart uh, of Topeka, and uh, he donated the game to us in 2005. And he had received it just like I did on, on my game, received it as a Christmas gift. I think when he was eight or nine years old is uh, what he told us when he donated it, um, and. Uh, Sounds uh, very similar to my experience. You know, he played it with his brother. He would haul it out on holidays when, mm-hmm. you know, the football game was on TV and have your own little game going. And sure. Your own um, fights. <laughs> what, is there any connection? Um, I was doing some reading mm-hmm. on it, and, and there seems to be uh, sort of some connection to the Tudor football game production mm-hmm. and NFL Super Bowl I. Um, can you go into any detail on that? Well, really, Tudor was not the only company that was producing this kind of an electric football game. They, they were the innovator. I, th- I think Tudor actually came up with the idea of this actually in the 1940s. So <clears throat> although the game we have is from the 1960s and the one that I played was from the 1960s, it had been around since the late 1940s. There was another company that made a similar type of electric football game. And I think that, you know they were both kind of trying to innovate and go their separate ways, and but actually you know corner the market as well. And then as the NFL got popular, and particularly the growing popularity of NFL after Super Bowl One, which as a sidebar is sort of a misnomer because there actually wasn't a Super Bowl One. They didn't start calling it the Super Bowl until the third championship game. It was just called the AFC NFC Championship game for the first two years. But anyway. Hmm. Um, with the growing popularity of, of that game and the NFL in particular, um, Tudor began licensing with the NFL to produce the game with specific teams represented by the players. Now, the game that we have in the collection, the, the game that I had as a child, it was just generic. There were like yellow players and white players, you know, yellow plastic, white plastic, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they started, after Super Bowl One producing them with actual teams, you know, the, the, the players reflected the uniforms and the colors of that team, and they started adding larger grandstands to the game to make it more, you know, quote, lifelike, as mm-hmm. much as a metal board can be lifelike for football. Um, so you had, um, you know, more of an arena or a stadium feel to the game, and it, it just really kind of took it to another level, more than just sort of a playing in your rec room game. It really became much more of a marketing tool for Tudor. And some of the other manufacturers after the after Super Bowl one. I. I see. Um, some say that electronic football game football uh, was the worst game ever invented. Why would someone say that? <laughs> well, that's. Uh, I don't think I'd argue with that. I think it quite possibly could be the worst game ever invented. Uh, I mean, you, when you think about it, you know, you've got you know eight and nine year old kids, uh, and you have to elaborately set up each play. So you know. Children of that age, particularly boys, are not known for their infinite patience. And to have to set up 22 players in a specific formation and then turn on the game, and it's just, as I said, it's just chaos. Uh, the, the players don't go where you want them to. A lot of times they just, you know, 
link arms and go around in circles. You'll have the, you know, the kind of rogue linebacker over in the corner of the end zone just doing this little dosy do all by himself, sort of looking like he just got off the tilt a whirl. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, maniacal. And then, you know, when you finally figure out that the play has stopped because one player has touched the player with the ball and it's a tackle, or the pass has been completed or incompleted, and then you have a big fight over that, then you turn the board off and then you have to set it all up again. So if you really want to play. You know, four quarters, if you time it and you ran a clock with it, you know, it it could take weeks to play a game. So it's uh, it, it's a game, I think, that's that was good in concept and in execution. It was just um, fell a little bit short. But I think it's interesting because so many people my age just have wonderful memories of playing electronic football because I think it's such a bizarre game. Um, it's something you don't see now. You know, with a, I sound like a, the quintessential old guy. You know, well, you know, video games when I was a kid, we didn't have video games. But you know, to, to think that you know you just sat there and watched a vibrating board and that was our <laughs> entertainment is kind of sad, actually. Yeah, a little sad. Um, my last question, Bob: mm-hmm. If you and I played this game today, okay. how would it make you feel to be crushed under the foot of my yellow plastic Tudor <laughs> electronic football team? Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Dream on, Sonny boy. I was playing this game before you were a gleam in your father's eye. I would humiliate you. I would crush you like a grape on the sidewalk. Okay, well, everybody's got to have a skill. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, well, electronic football, you know, it's it's not real marketable, but it's a skill. Yeah. All right, Bob, thanks for answering some questions. Sure, my pleasure. That concludes Episode 5, The Worst Game Ever Invented. Join us in two weeks when I'm interrogated about Wolf Creek Nuclear Generating Plant. Is the Burlington plant responsible for two-headed calves in Kansas? This podcast is a production of the Kansas State Historical Society. Friends are coming over tonight.